We start a new study of the book of Galatians. And I got good news and bad news. good news is we're going to look at the book of Galatians. The bad news is this might take as long as the whole of 16 chapters of Romans to just do these six chapters of Galatians. You'd think it would take about half the time, but this book is uh, so misunderstood that it's going to take a little bit longer than that. The reason that this book is so misunderstood is context. We forget that this letter was written to someone else with a specific set of problems. And we read it as if it was written to us. But really, you're reading someone else's mail. Also, we fail to take the time to understand the customs of the people at this time. Who the letter's being written to and the historical context of the book. The best example I can give you is what we just went through in the book of Romans, particularly chapter 14 of the book. That chapter is nearly always taught in light of the understanding of Galatians. And so it's taught as Paul telling the Romans not to listen to Judaizers who are trying to get them, uh, put them under the dietary laws and the burden of the Sabbath and the festivals. However, when we considered that the Jewish people, due to a wave of anti-Semitism, had been expelled from Rome for five years just prior to the writing of this letter, And we considered that because of this expulsion, there weren't many Judaizers around. And those who may have been had little influence because when we considered that they're just returning to these congregations and these congregations are now full of non-Jews who have little regard for the Jewish people. And we combine those things with the text of Acts, Acts chapter 15 and the disciples ruling on foods offered to idols. We found that the days that Paul is referring to had nothing to do with the Sabbath and the festivals, but they're really talking about Jewish traditional fast days. And we found that the food spoken of in that chapter had nothing to do with clean and unclean animals, as listed in the book of Leviticus, but had to do with foods that had been offered to idols. And really, the whole chapter had to do with preferring your brother. And we found that the letter really had nothing to do with Judaizing, but a lack of concern for the Jewish people who were now returning to Rome. In fact, we might make the case that it had to do with Hellenizing, not Judaizing. Well, Galatians is about Jews who are trying to influence non-Jews to become full proselytes. Most commentators call them Judaizers, but Mark Nanos used a better word I like better, influencers. So in many respects, Galatians is really the opposite of the book of Romans. The reason I prefer to use influencers uh, rather than Judaizers is because Judaizers was a word that was first coined and used, according to Nanos, by the heretic Marcion. And we all know about that guy. But part of where we go wrong in the book of Galatians is understanding what Judaizing is even. If I say Judaizer to the average Christian, he's going to tell you that there were a group who were trying to get Gentiles to obey God's law. That's not the meaning of the word, nor what Paul meant when he used the word. The word is only used one place, and I'll read it for you. Here's the definition. Adopt Jewish customs and rites. One who observes ritual law of the Jews. And notice it has nothing to do with God's law, but it has to do with the customs of the Jewish people. 
What we term a Judaizer was one who was trying to make a Gentile live as a Jew, become a Jew in essence. Having him keep all the customs of the Jewish people to include circumcision. A Judaizer wants the prospective person to live exactly as they do, keeping God's law in the same manner as they do. It has little to do with God's law except that the customs of the Jewish people are bound up in decisions made about God's law. They're what is called the yoke of the Torah. Let's put this letter in its context for a moment. This is really one of the earliest letters we have, and I would date it about 48 common era. And this is about 10 years earlier than most commentaries would place its writing. And why do I say 48 common era? Well, for one thing, Acts chapter 15 decision is not mentioned in the book. Listen to what Galatians is all about. Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 says this. It is for freedom that Messiah has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Messiah will be of no value to you at all. Paul is coming against circumcision of non-Jews. Now, when we read that word circumcision, what comes to our minds is the cutting of the foreskin, which it is. But the word as it's used here is really a short version for a non-Jew becoming a Jew. Circumcision was the end of a process formulated by the rabbis for a non-Jew to fully fully convert. A non-Jew would be asking to be accepted by the Jewish people and in return he would be vowing to live as a Jew, keeping all the customs, all the traditions of a Jew, forsaking completely their former life. And this was all to be a part of Israel, be a part of the world to come. The problem is that the Galatians have accepted, been accepted by God already through faith in Messiah Yeshua. And the proof of that is God's spirit has been poured out upon them. And to look for another way to be accepted by God would make Messiah of no value to them. That's what Paul is saying there. Anyway, the problem is circumcision. And it's the same problem that we find in Acts chapter 15. Listen to Acts chapter 15, verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. And so Paul is fighting against circumcision and the conversion of non-Jews according to the traditions of the rabbis. If it had been after Acts chapter 15, he would have certainly mentioned that decision. He wouldn't have gone through all these hoops. He would have just said, haven't you heard what James and the apostles said? The halakha handed down by James and the apostles is done. Jews do not have to be circumcised to be accepted. And so this is really one of the earliest letters of Paul. Now, if you had to choose a word, if you had to choose one word that would sum up this letter, it would have to be identity. We're reading about a struggle for identity. Some are trying to hang on to the identity passed on to them by their forefathers. And others are trying to see where and if and how they fit into this faith in Messiah Yeshua and this Jewish synagogue they've come into. It should be something we're all familiar with, particularly if you're a non-Jew here. Because we had kind of the same crisis when we first came into this movement. If you think back to the first day you came to Sar Shalom or your first Messianic congregation, if it wasn't Sar Shalom... I think you remember having kind of an identity crisis. I know I did. I wondered what the heck is going on here for weeks, months. I was about as resistant as you could get. What is all this Jewish stuff? 
if you're a non-Jew, more than likely you came in from another church. Maybe because you heard or saw us on radio or TV. You heard a teaching that kind of rang true to you. And you said, I'm going to go over there and check that out. And then you walked through the door and the crisis began. (laughs) Why are they doing all this Jewish stuff? Why are they rejoicing and making such a fuss over the Torah? What are all those little bitty hats all about? What about those shawls men are wearing? Why do they have such a concern for the Jewish people? With all this craziness, what do I have to do to fit in here? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Many, many visitors never make it past those first few moments, first few hours. (laughs) Some of them hit the door before the sermon is over. Right? You've all seen it. But if you stay, what you come to find out is that you don't really have to do anything much different than you do anywhere else. Oh, you may want to learn a few customs, but no one forces you. And you can do it at your own pace. Where you really find your trouble is not here, but outside of here with your family and friends who think you're going under the law. Right? Am I right? Amen. Well, now put yourself back in the first century for a moment. And remember, there was no church. There was just a synagogue. And you weren't coming out of a church that believed in Jesus. You were coming out of pagan temples. Powerful institutions that were not just centers for worship of other gods, but really kept watch over you from birth to death, held your records, your property records, your birth records, and so on. So you have no experience with the God of Israel. And you walk into the synagogue and the crisis begins. You think, but think of the crisis. You're not even welcomed at the door with a handshake because the greeter's glad to see you. No, you're held at a distance, viewed with suspicion, not touched because after all, you're a pagan and you're unclean. Not going to shake your hand, but you see some other non-Jews sitting over here by themselves. And so you go over there and join them. And the words of God you hear about his kingdom and his community are beautiful to your ears. Someone comes to you and tells you about Yeshua. Maybe that's why you're there in the first place, because someone already told you about Yeshua. Well, right away, you begin to ask yourself, how am I going to fit into this place? And you begin to find out that there is a way. There is a way for you to become a part of this synagogue and this community. All you have to do is learn Torah. Hey, that's the very thing I came here to do. Those words are beautiful to me. You want to know more about Yeshua, this Savior that you've been told about. You want to know more about the God of Israel who saved his people out of Egypt, who, as the Torah tells us in chapter 4 and verse 5, See, I've taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering and take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. What other great nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord Our God is near us. Whenever we pray to him, what other nation is so great to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I'm setting before you today? 
And so you're sitting there and you realize you're the fulfillment of these words because you've asked this very question. What nation is so great to have God so near and this righteous body of laws and decrees? So you're here to learn the words of Torah. So that's music to your ears, right? That's what I came here for. What nation is so great that God would send his son, his own son to deliver them, to give them eternal life? I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this world to come. But then you see, oh, there's a little bit more that's going to be expected of you than just believing on the name of Yeshua. Someone tells you that you'll have to live to the, by the customs of the Jewish people. To be a real part here, you have to become as one of the people. The fact is, they want you to change your, almost change your ethnicity, if you could look at it that way. They actually want you to become Jewish, to live as a Jew. Think of the ramifications of that. You'll have to treat your family and former friends just as the Jews have just treated you as you walked in the door. Unclean. You'll lose family and friends. How can you do this, they'll say. You are born a Roman. Your birth records... The deed to your house are all in the temple here. Not the temple of the Jews. They don't know who you are. And this is all hard. But then you find out the whole, find out the whole process of becoming a Jew ends with what? Circumcision. But when you find out this whole process of becoming a part of these people to have God so near you and have these righteous laws... You actually becoming a Jew and it ends up with the mutilation of your body. You have to be circumcised. Now, circumcision in our country and in our time is no big deal. I mean, many people had that done when they were born because of medical reasons. It's not a big deal. But not so in the first century, particularly not in Galatia, Rome, Greece, these places. Go look at the statues in Rome and Greece. The body was worshipped. The human body, the human form was worshipped down to every detail, considered beautiful, worshipped. And the thought of mutilating any part of that body would be disgusting to you. Not only that, it's unlawful. And yet this is what they're asking you to do. It's no wonder with that attitude they had toward the body that there were many, many, many God-fearers in the synagogue, but very few proselytes. They stopped short of that full conversion. The Bible and, and Bible history speaks of many God-fearers, but very few proselytes, those who completed the process. And the reason, I think, is this mutilation of the flesh. While the crisis was not just happening to the non-Jews either. It's also happening to the Jewish people and the leaders of the community. Life was good. Everybody knew their place in the synagogue. We have these brothers coming from Jerusalem now, and they're teaching about this fellow named Yeshua. They actually think he's the Messiah. And maybe he is. After all, what did Isaiah say? Isaiah said, Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law, the islands, or we could say the nations, will put their hope. Maybe this guy is the Messiah. Messiah was to be a light to the nations. And look at all the goyim we got coming in this place. In the synagogue. And I'm not going to use the word Gentile much. Because I hate the word Gentile. 
You know something? The word Gentile isn't even a biblical word. It wasn't used to the 14th century. And then after that, by the translators of the Bible. If you look at the Greek words that's used for, that they translate for Gentile, look at one of them is ethnos. It means specifically foreign, non-Jewish. A heathen. Notice it says foreign or alien. Well, you're no longer aliens. You're no longer foreigners. What did Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19? He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Messiah Yeshua himself, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I really like the other word. There's other words that they translate Gentile too. I like this one in particular. It says, it says, a Helen, a Grecian, a Greek speaking person. It's where we get the word Hellenist from. I put that word up here too for you. Hellenist. So if we go by that definition, then we're all Gentiles. Jew and non-Jew. Because we've all been Hellenized. That's why, we're, that's why we've come into this place. We don't longer want to be Hellenized. <laughs> right? Anyway, I don't want to get off on that tangent. But I can tell you this. I wouldn't let anybody call me a Gentile. And I wouldn't let anybody call you a Gentile too if I was in hearing. Either, I should say. Because you're not heathens. And you're not former. You're, you're a former heathen. But you are now the people of God. Amen? Anyway, see these Jewish brethren are saying, well, we've heard this fellow Yeshua that he was crucified for blasphemy. But then we've heard this fellow Paul telling the Gentiles this. I heard this fellow Paul tell the Gentiles that, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Yeshua is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. Romans 10.4. This guy's telling them in order to be part of the world to come, all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And not only that, I heard he's telling them this. But if Messiah is in you, your body is dead because of your sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead is living in you, he who raised Messiah from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. He's telling these Gentiles that they're part of the world to come for just believing in this fellow Yeshua. That goes against everything our sages, our beloved forefathers have taught. Our sages taught us all Israelites have a share in the world to come. As it is written, your people also shall be all righteous and they shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. Our sages taught that all Israel will be saved and have a share in the world to come. Not a bunch of heathens. Another person speaks up and says, you know, I've heard that he's telling people this. Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who called themselves the circumcision, that done by the, hand, by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Messiah, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world, but now in Messiah Yeshua, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create one new man of the two, thus making peace in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He, be, 
He came and he preached to you who were far away and to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Can you imagine? He's telling these uncircumcised heathens that they're part of the covenant and the citizens of Israel. That they can remain uncircumcised. Another person might speak up and say, well, I heard that there's a fisherman called Peter, a disciple of this Yeshua, and he's told Gentiles this. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him, but God has shown me that I should call no man impure or unclean. Acts chapter 10. He's telling them that we should eat with these unclean heathens. How can that be? How can we be sure that the meat that they're eating isn't from some heathen temple? The Torah is clear. We can't eat meat that's offered to idols. Not only that, but this fellow Peter also said this. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts all men of every nation who fear him and do what is right. He's telling people God doesn't show favoritism. We are his chosen people. He chose our father Abraham. What does he mean? God does not show favoritism. We're his chosen people. The only way to become one of us is laid out by our sages. These heathens must be become part of us, learn Torah, learn our customs, and they must be circumcised. Everyone knows that. Someone else pipes up and says, I've even heard that this fellow Paul said this, that he teaches all Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to the customs. Listen, our forefathers were clear. We have no other custom. Gentiles must be a part of the nation of Israel to have a share in the world to come. And the way to become part of this nation is to vow to live as a Jew and show it by being circumcised as we are. Surely the true Messiah would not go against our forefathers. Men like Hillel and Shammai of blessed memory. Now we can't accept this. These Gentiles must live as we do. Follow our customs. Or we'll not eat with them. We'll remain separated from them. As for this fellow Paul, he must be a few cards short of a deck. And so we have this cultural crisis going on among the Jewish people in the synagogues. A clash of cultures, if you will. A clash of identities of which Paul knows and preaches against. He says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments contained in ordinances. His purpose was to create one new man out of the two, thus making peace in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Paul knows the Messiah came to put to death these ordinances of the Jewish people and the customs of the Jewish people that stood opposed to fellowship between them and these non-Jews coming into the synagogue. He made one new man of the two. Paul knows, but obviously not everybody knows because all of the non-Jews coming in, we have this identity crisis happening and part of, part of all the non-Jews and the Jews, this is what Paul is addressing. In the book of Galatians, he's addressing this very thing. But not only that, these poor non-Jews are getting it from both ends. They're getting it from both ends. On the one hand, 
we have these poor non-Jews getting it uh, uh, from the Jewish people saying, we've got to mutilate your flesh. Then on the other hand, they have their families saying, are you crazy? You want to be a Jew? That's not addressed in this letter to the Galatians, but it is in Colossians. It said, Colossians 2.16 says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things to come. The reality of the responded Messiah. He tells the Colossians who are in the same boat as the Galatians being ostracized by their families because they are worshiping with the Jewish people on the Sabbath and on festival days and not in the pagan temples any longer. He tells them, don't let anyone judge you because these are teachings of the Messiah. So the Gentiles in Galatia are in kind of a tough place, made tougher by the traditions of the Jewish people, not the commands of God, mind you, but the added laws of the sages and the rabbis. Paul, remember from the book of Romans, chapter 10, quoted this, Deuteronomy 30. It says, now I am commanding you today, it is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven So that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart that you may obey it. What the non-Jews have come to the synagogue for is not hard. Messiah is kind. He's gracious. His yoke is easy. And for those of, of you who do not Know what a yoke is. It's the way you keep the commands of God. Yeshua says, my yoke, my way of keeping the commands of God is easy. That's what they've came to the synagogue for. And what they're being met with is mutilation of the flesh and heavy loads. No man should bear, as Yeshua put it. And the sad part of this is they're beginning to listen to these influencers. They're actually beginning to listen to these guys. They want to be a part of all of this so badly to be included in the world to come so badly to be accepted as full members of the community so badly they've begun to listen to these people. And so what does Paul say? He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by grace and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion trying to pervert the gospel of Messiah. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned, as we have already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. What is Paul saying? Well, in short, he's saying, are you crazy? (laughs) We're going to leave off here. And if you're having a problem understanding what I just said, over the next weeks and months, we're going to go through the book verse by verse. And when we come out the other end, you'll have a perfect understanding. 